No, there's a word for it. It's called sonder. And I love mm-hmm. it. And it's basically the feeling where you realize that like everybody else has like this full experience of life like you do. And I've never had an interaction with anything like I have with the museum. Maybe there's like two other pieces of art um, that have like done this for me, but the museum is the most profound example. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. What is happening? I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite, above average, but infinitely curious podcast, Dimed Out. A show dedicated to exploring both the mysteries and the meaning of life. And this week, we really are getting into the meaning of life, or at the very least, a huge fundamental part of why it is that we are here and what it is to be human. So this week, as you can tell by the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about the Museum of Broken Relationships. And I am hoping that you have no idea what that is, because I want you to learn about it. I want you to discover it in the best possible way by listening to my conversation with the person who was responsible for it in Los Angeles, the former director of the Museum of Broken Relationships, Alexis Hyde. Now, I originally planned for this episode to simply be a sit-down episode where I recount my experience in the museum, do some research, and present it as a solo-based episode. But I found that they had some social media. I reached out with a speculative message, of which I have sent to many people and heard nothing back from many people in the past, And I kind of, sort of, really, truly expected it to go the same way with this. I thought, I'm going to chance my arm here, going to try my luck, send this message, see if I get anything, even just, uh, we're not interested, just something. And I get a message saying, message me, Alexis, at this place, and we can talk. And so I did. And we did. Honestly, without any sense of exaggeration, this is one of the best things that has happened from doing this podcast. And I've had many high points doing this show over the last two years. This is definitely up there. Not just because I chanced my arm, tried my luck, sent out a message that I didn't expect to hear anything back from, but because I'm getting to talk in depth about something that means a great deal to me and has done for the last six years with the person who was responsible for it. So, yeah, I'm I'm just happy even thinking back about this conversation. Usually at this point of the show, I will kind of give you some sort of high points, milestones, things that you can expect in the conversation, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just kind of throw us in uh, by setting the scene, telling a little story of how it is I found the museum, and then, yeah, we're just going to go from there. I really hope you guys enjoy this just a smidge as much as I enjoyed having the conversation and putting this together. This is me 
talking to the wonderfully engaging, thoroughly fantastic Alexis Hyde. So I want to take you back, listeners, to 2016 in the summer. The year beforehand, I had gone on my first ever traveling adventure in an attempt to get over a great deal of anxiety and other issues. So I went coast to coast across the US. Some of you listening know about this already, starting in New York with the intention to finish in Los Angeles. But in 2015, I only managed to make it to San Francisco before running out of cash and having to make an emergency exit, cutting my visit short. But I vowed to myself that I would return the next year and actually finish what I started and spend some time in Los Angeles. So we skip forward to 2016, and I have spent the day doing the usual touristy bullshit, and I'm, I'm going down Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, there's a lot to catch your eye. You know, there's a lot of words you can use to describe Los Angeles. Boring is certainly not one. Um, and somewhere in between uh, seeing a guy that looked remarkably like Weird Al Yankovic noodling on a flying V and a woman with a sign saying Jesus bore our sins, I see a building with a sign on it that says Museum of Broken Relationships. And instantly I was like, what is that? Now, I already had stuff planned for that day that I was committed to doing, but it kind of stuck with me and sort of nagged at me for the rest of the day. And I was like, right, I'm going to shift some stuff about. And tomorrow I'm going to go in there. And I did. And that was 2016. This is 2022. To this day, that museum has stuck with me as just a, an incredible experience and an incredible immersion into humanity. And I may be kind of overselling this to some people. I don't know. But for me, it generally was profound. And that's a word that gets kicked about far too often and too easily. But for me, it genuinely was profound. And today, just by chance, because the whole idea was that I was just going to sit down and do a sort of reconstructed journal, a um, little bit of a research dive into what the uh, Museum of Broken Relationships was. But reaching out, I have managed to find myself in the pleasurable company of the uh, the woman who was the director of that museum, um, Alexis. Welcome to Hi. the show. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful introduction. Yeah. So I feel like the best place to go before we move any further is for you to explain to people that, and I'm hoping in a weird way that there's a lot of people listening that don't know what the museum uh, was, because I want this to be a, a real great discovery for people as it was for me. So if you could kind of just uh, give a little explanation as to what the museum itself was. Yeah, so the Museum of Broken Relationships is a museum dedicated to just that, broken relationships. Uh, yes, a lot of romantic ones, but it's also family, friends, places, yourself, jobs. And the objects that you're looking at when you go through the museum are all donated from people all around the world, like you and me, um, from all different walks of life, ages, different kinds of relationships. And it's the kind of objects that you don't want to sell, don't want to throw away, um, to not a lot of worth necessarily like fiscally and, you know, but just a lot of, a lot of emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. So the things that you, you know, when you open up that drawer at home and something kind of punches you in the gut that you're like, well, I did not expect to see you today. Right. The keychain or the, te the 
ticket stubs or that t-shirt at the bottom of the drawer, um, things like that, that just have a lot of, a lot of emotional resonance. Um, And each object is displayed along with the story of what happened and where and when. And as you walk through, if I did my job correctly, uh, you saw and you realized that all of those times when you felt the most alone, you're actually profoundly connected because yeah. everybody, no matter where you are, how old you are, you know, how good looking you are, how rich you are, if you're in Paris or if you're in Duluth, uh, we all go through this and it's an important human experience and it can be just as formative as the good times as the weddings and birthdays. And it was an important place to kind of honor that very, you know, important, real and common human experience and a place that we can kind of resonate and, and meditate and, you know, empathize. And hopefully when you leave, you feel a little bit bolstered actually, because you do know that, you know, everybody's got their own journey as well and they're all bumpy and that's not a bad thing no it's not at all in fact some of the best lessons we learn are bumpy and ugly and messy and complicated and I think that's really one of the things that resonated and that's a great word you just used and it really is a key word because there is a lot of resonance when I was going through looking at all these separate things, whether or not I had a frame of reference or a sort of understanding from their perspective or not, there's something in there. And there's that sense of somebody feeling something. And you kind of touched upon the idea of relationships and the sort of varied spectrum. That's something that really kind of appealed to me with the museum is it's, it is romantic relationship, but it's not solely that it's relationships that people have um, with, with religion, with jobs, with community, with friends, with themselves. Um, it really it really kind of taps into the variety and the spectrum of what a relationship is. Yeah. Well, because that's the thing I think that most people do think when they came in, they definitely thought it was romantic. And mm-hmm. there are a lot. And yeah, we, sure. But we also do have, you know, we've got the songs, and we've got the movies and the books. And so we do have those kinds of things there. But it was really important for us curatorially to mm-hmm. have, you know, the family and the other kind of broken relationships, because those are even you know, it's already a quiet area where we don't want to talk about the hard stuff and, you know, honor and discuss because it's hard, but, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's an even smaller corner (laughs) in that dark corner of, you know, a breakup with a cousin or a job or, you know, those kinds of things that just, Mm -hmm. it's harder to, it's harder to talk about. And it was really important to show that like, there's a full spectrum of relationships and they're all important. They can all hurt and that's all okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's not just a full spectrum of relationships. It's a full spectrum of, of breakage as well, because it, it really does vary from like amicable splits to complete and utter mismatches to triumphant departures, people actually taking agency of themselves and their own future and doing the right thing for themselves, heartbreaking implosions and, and death. You know, it really runs the gamut of what a breakage in a relationship is, which I found ultimately fascinating as well because it's tapping into something that is so large and macro in in a sense but really kind of micro as well and just so personable and understandable yeah exactly right yeah because it was so like yeah there's it's it wouldn't have been hard I mean the amount of objects I have versus what I could display you Mm -hmm. know it's a it's quite the ratio I could only put up about a hundred stories 
um, at a time as, as listeners can imagine, if you did get to go, you definitely know for experience, it's a heavily reading, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to read the stories and yeah. some of them are short sentence. Some of them are paragraphs long, but it's, it takes a solid hour, hour and a half to actually read through all of them. And, you know, that gets to be a little brain, brain melty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I did have to be, you know, careful to make sure that people, you know, there were some moments of levity. There are some kind of breaks for your brain, for your heart, for your soul. Um, And as easy as it would be to just hit you with just the hardest, most tear jerky stories over and over and over again, that wasn't, you know, that it was important to just show like the silly ones and the fun Mm -hmm. ones and the, we, and we learned and we laughing now, or, you know, the ones that are, you know, the throwaway ones too, because those are all part of the experience as well. Oh, of course, because not everything is is like an overly melodramatic, heartbreaking experience. And that's one of the things that I generally thought was was a great appeal to it. And when I left, I felt like I had a full rounded experience was there are things in there, which are absolutely devastating. But there are things which are just they will make you piss yourself laughing, because it's just it's brilliant. Um, and I love that. And it really kind of shows that there is no sort of binary sense of, of uh, relationships or breakage or human experience. You know, it is a spectrum. It is it is very varied. Um, I'm going to kind of get into the, the curation of the museum in a little bit. And we're going to kind of get into some specific items. Absolutely. But um, before we do that, how did you actually get involved with the project and become director of the museum? I... You know, it's a little bit funny. I hadn't, when the job posting came up, a couple of people sent it to me asking if I'd heard about it. And I was doing other stuff at the time. I was, you know, had a different job. And mm-hmm. um, I was familiar with the concept, which started in Croatia quite a few years ago. And so I knew that it was, and it travels. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was really curious if it was a real thing. Was it a knockoff? Was it, you know, going to be funded? Was it not? Um, and I really applied to the job out of just, pure curiosity I was just like oh I wonder I feel like my resume will get me in the door I just really want to know what's going on because I'm nosy (laughs) um which is also a deep qualification need for the job (laughs) right well well, a a phrase that we've used on this show is infinitely curious and I feel like that's a great example of it exactly so it's like oh I gotta I gotta find out what's happening here and um (laughs) I did get called in and obviously yeah um and I just you know, what I found out when, you know, I came in with, you know, a little, honestly, almost like dating. I was like, I was like, is this something that I would even be interested in? Like, I don't know, like, what are you offering here? And then I found out they were, you know, they really wanted to do the real thing. It was associated with Croatia. We were going to be kind of like the sister site. Um, and we would be working with them. And uh, I was like, all right, well, this is all interesting. And, and I just, we just really had a similar you know, just like really simpatico about, you know, how important these things are and how LA is such a good spot for it. Um, because of, you know, just all the different kind of people walking through life here and mm-hmm. the broken dreams and yeah, yeah. everything. So it just, it worked out really well. And, you know, once they found a spot, we, I started technically, I started the job in November and then I opened the museum in July, in June. So I had, mm-hmm. you know, six months to open a museum. <laughs> That's a pretty quick turnaround, I imagine. I, I have no experience, but I mean, just on paper. It was quick. From, yeah, it was a bit intense. 
Yeah. And the space before, because you've been to the space, uh, it was, you know, it was very beautiful. It was all built out. And before that, it was the Fredericks of Hollywood, which is a, a very sexy lingerie okay. Hollywood Boulevard type store. So there was quite a bit of, of construction and design that went into making it kind of this like safe place to have your heart ripped out and put back together <laughs> to go through that spectrum of emotions exactly exactly yeah. wow so the the range of objects that were in there it, it really again I keep going back to this but there really was such a spectrum of things from small things to large things to genuinely everyday mundane stuff which is then kind of elevated into a different position and kind of has a completely different connotation once you do the reading of the story it's it's strange because there are things in there which you would just maybe pass by if there wasn't a story attached to it to the side and you you read the story and then suddenly it's like okay I can't look at that the same way now um but just to give listeners uh just a very very brief glimpse um range of objects that I've listed here include everything from a license plate uh knickknacks ornaments keychains a head of dreadlocks breast implants and uh various other things it really was quite varied and eclectic to say the least Uh, how did you go about sourcing these items were they all simply donated or did you have to kind of go out into the wider world and sort of hunt for people yeah so the it was a call for objects um and the call's still going in croatia so if anybody wants to donate you can go to brokenships.com and donate um but that was it you'd send in I had a form that you filled out on our website saying, you know, what it is, where it is in the story. And then you, and then I sent you back basically a form with the address to send it to me. And people did, people did. We did the, once we did the call for objects, it did get trending on Facebook for a minute where I was, I was more popular than Kim Kardashian. Wow. We were like a fleeting <laughs> moment in 2016. I was like, I put the screenshot somewhere. Um, but it was, it, it was just asking it. I mean, it's such a shareable thing because if mm. you're not going through a breakup, you know, somebody who is, who might be able to use a little catharsis, a little bit of like letting go. There's really something very human and healing about, you know, engaging in a ritual and you know following through with a task and I think that it's you know it was really in even just telling the story like writing it down in the in the form that you're submitting to me you know that can be really you know wonderful to think about and it was but it was a testament to how much people are attached to these objects because for you know every three objects that people said that they were going to send only like one came through Mm. um and I got so many emails being like I'm sorry I can't like I've changed my mind I'm not ready yet and um and that's so real you know that's such a real feeling where it's like oh I think I'm there and it's like no not quite um I've had people who did bring in their objects you know they're like you're gonna have to physically take this from me like they're like holding on like they couldn't give it up like we like you know especially for local people who were just dropping it off as opposed to like mailing it in and um and I would and then I'd see you know their the relaxation like the the weight off of their shoulders and like the release that it was like I'm taking this thing from you and they you don't have to hold on to it anymore and it was such a I, I just really I I take so much pride and like, I take that job very seriously Mm -hmm. that I'm like holding on to these stories and I'm, you know, honoring like your, 
you, the, the grand you, yeah. uh, the wider you's experiences and what you guys went through, um, what everyone went through, who, who's, who's donating. And it was just really wonderful to hear. And then like the thank you letters that came in afterwards, like, you know, I finally had something to do with it. Like I didn't want to throw it away. I didn't want to donate it. It just was, or like even some of the things, there weren't a lot of things. I'm sure you were, there wasn't a lot of things that were worth a lot of money. There were a few rings and a few, you know, pieces of jewelry, but nothing really substantial. And it was just too much sentimental value and but i think that's what makes it a more personable experience is because you're not looking at like high-end items you're not looking at like extravagant expensive pieces of things that are far out of the like the the reach of most people you're looking at everyday things things that people have either had themselves encountered or you know that are just real and relatable Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's definitely where like going back to that word resonance really comes from because it's like at one point in time i've had one of those and now it's different <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm, because I'm connecting to that person's story. Uh, you touched on catharsis, and that's something I really kind of wanted to dive into and, and talk to you about. Um, obviously, you, you've you've mentioned there that there was a sense of catharsis for people that were ready to let go of these items, and that was was a lift for them. Do you feel like there was a sense of catharsis for people, not just for themselves, but being able to take, in some instances, very hard parts of their journey? and display them for other people to relate to? I know for a fact, in some cases, yes. Mm. And I hope in a lot of cases, yes. Because I think there is something in sharing your story and that people can learn from your story. They can laugh with you. They can cry with you. And knowing that like there's connection there, again, as the donor, that like you're not alone, that people are reading and resonating, um, however that might be. And I think that's like, oh, yes, like I did, ex- you know, it's, it's a validation as well. Mm-hmm. And I think in that validation is the catharsis where it's like, yes, I did experience something. It was important. It was hard. It was funny. It was whatever the, you know, adjective is and, and being seen, you know, you're being recognized and your experience right. is being seen and recognized in like kind of a very different setting. You know, it's not just chatting with friends at over dinner or you know posting about it on social media like this is a very physical interaction and there's something very like socially conditioned uh for humans that you know when we go to a museum there's a reverence there's a sense of importance there's a sense of education um there's a fancy sense of like oh I'm looking at some like fancy <laughs> stuff like look at like what are these artifacts what is this art yeah. um and you know it puts as a viewer it puts you in a different mindset to be engaging with these kinds of items in that setting because you are, we are conditioned to have gone to museums on school trips or as in for fun or on dates or however we are, where we have to take it kind of seriously. And having been the person who's donating the object, all of a sudden you become the quote unquote artist, mm-hmm. the archeologist, like you're yeah. the one who's supplying the important object. And that, you know, kind of elevates your experience a little bit and forces you to have a little bit of a different perspective, which can also be, you know, healing. Absolutely. I think one of the things, and there's, there's a lot, as you can tell, because I think you can tell that this place meant a great and still does means a great deal to me because of what it offered people. But I think one of the really, truly striking things is is that sense of letting go and embracing vulnerability I think as human beings it's the thing we want to do the most is be vulnerable is be open to show ourselves for all that we are good bad indifferent 
um, but it's difficult. And in in this sort of digital age, as it were, when everything has to be kind of filtered and look perfect and it can't be uploaded until it's just the right angle, there's something really, really wonderful and human about being able to do that, being able to share your most sort of formative, some, some, for some people, some of their most formative experiences and elements of their journey. But to do so with uh, physical tactile items as well, I think, kind of skips over that sort of digital uh, sur- surplus. And it kind of creates something that is there to be seen. That you obviously, it's guarded. You can't like grab hold of it and feel yes. it, but you know that it's a tactile object. Um, and I think that sort of marriage of uh, vulnerability and physical items is is just such a wonderful merge. I think so. I think so. I think that there is the having that 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 bridge is really important because it is it it represents something in a way that I think that you know when we read things on on our screens um, or even like you know hear it it's just, it's not as present, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is an item that was donated. Like this was somebody's something. And I think also not to get like too woo woo, but like I can't help it because I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, you can get as woo woo as, as you like on here. Like we 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 fully embrace the woo woo. But I think you can feel the energy in it. You know, there's there's been so much energy put into these objects, just you know, by the happenstance of them existing. Some of them more than others. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, one of the more popular stories was the paper flowers on pens. And it was about um, a person who had made these, you know, a bouquet of, of flowers and each flower was handmade with all of these different poems. And it was just like, if you're looking at it, you can see that it would have taken a tremendous amount of time to have yeah. made. And so just even just seeing that, like as somebody, you know, as people who just have interactions with people and give each other's gifts and crafts we would anybody would be like oh like a lot of time and energy went into this but even on the other side of that spectrum is like the belly button lint um which I had more than one donation of which is a whole other story but (laughs) it's just like that's like a cast off but like still like the energy that it takes Mm. to take that to hold on to it to find meaning in it like and this is what I also think that's so important that like, even though some of these are like, and I mean, this with like love everybody who's listening. Like, I can't tell you how much I love and care about every single person who donated something. And like, I think this is so important that like, we're looking at like the weirdest, ugliest, <laughs> most yeah. under the table, back of the drawer items and like parts of our personalities and life. And I think that that's really important that people are sharing that with us because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I recognize my weird and you're weird um that like it's there is a lid for a pot and like that one didn't fit but like you know we all do gross weird human like we're all humans we're all just like skin sacks of like blood and like muscle and meat it's just like we're gross and gross things happen and that's really important to talk about that too even in like an art museum kind of concept and Mm -hmm. having that next to you know some of the other things like I have now that I'm thinking about it it's like all of like the rush of like body biohazard materials that came through <laughs> the breast implants when they came she just sent them in like a plastic bag wow. um, and she's been very public about how she donated them it's been on her Instagram and such mm-hmm. uh, but I talked to her about it when she came in she's like oh I just figured if they didn't make it they didn't make it and I was like that's so like healthy <laughs> that you yeah. 
<laughs> but I did. I was like opening up this like loose bag of like heavy weird things. I was like, what is? I was like, oh my god, this is. They sent in the, the breast implants. I still have them. Do you? Um, I still have every. Oh yeah, I've got everything. I have stuff here. I have to pay for flowers on my desk. I've got like a broken. I've got a. Oh, some of the stories. It's also just really interesting because like I've got a broken GPS with a really great story, and I yeah. have um, somebody donated nail files like little emery boards hmm. and they're gross and they're yeah. used and so if you look at them you're like mm, trash and then you read the story and it's just tears just thinking about it because it's about a woman whose late husband was so compulsive that he was always filing his nails and then but now some of those compulsive behaviors led to his untimely death and now mm. she's just like i wish i could hear him filing his nails still right and it's just like that just gut punch of you know being mad about something and but like missing that and I think we all I think those are the most successful stories as well are these ones that are just such highly specific stories that haven't taken you know you haven't experienced that and I haven't experienced that like having you know or maybe you have but I just can't it's just such a specific one but the theme of it is I miss even the ugly parts of you Mm -hmm. And I think we've all done that. Yeah. Where we like look back and just be like, oh, I wish I could hear that person doing that thing again or talking, you know, just that annoying habit that I thought I would, you know, be blissed without it. Mm-hmm. And then you miss it. And so these stories that, even though they're so specific, they're just hitting something like that's a really profound human experience. I think we're just always like just incredible. Yeah, totally. As I said, even if you don't have that specific, if you haven't had that specific uh, experience or you can't view things through that perspective, you get the gist of like, this is an idiosyncrasy that used to bug the shit out of somebody, but now that person's no longer there, they miss it and they do anything to kind of have that back in their lives. And it's, it really does hit home at at the things that we often take for granted. Um, And it kind of digs into the thing that I think I love the most about the museum is that it really for that hour, hour and a half, and even longer afterwards, sort of mentally digesting the things that I'd seen, the stories I'd heard, really pulled me out of my own head. And like I, like a lot of other people, I'm not alone in this, exist a lot within my own head, my own uh, anxieties and worries and concerns and, and what have you. But going through that and finding that relatability, whether it is a direct experience you've had yourself or not, finding that sense of connectivity, that sense of resonance really just pulls you out of your own shit and just puts everything aside and is like, well, there's this. And there's just so much more than what's going on in here. There's mm-hmm. so much more. Um, and and that is, that's where I would say, like, I really found this sort of profound sense of, of what you guys were doing. Yeah. No, there's a word for it it's called sonder and I love it and it's basically the feeling where you realize that like everybody else has like this full experience of life like you do and I've never had an interaction with anything like I have with the museum maybe there's like two other pieces of art um that have like done this for me but the Mm -hmm. museum is the most profound example where it's just like it blew my perception of like reality and like my interactions with like every single person um 
And I'm just like, oh, this taxi driver, like, what are they going through? This waiter just like I rolled their eyes at me. Well, like, who knows what they're going through? Like, what if they just had a breakup? Did this person have a breakup? I want to give this person a hug. They look like they're sad. Like, maybe they've had a breakup. Um, and of course, the answer is yes, they've all had breakups. <laughs> and then it's okay. And like, I want to like talk to them all about it. And, but it was just like, it's so wonderful. And like, it just like the hardcore empathy workout that it gives you because it does just like sticks you somewhere else and you can't you're just you are you're out of your head you're out of like it just it makes you want to tell your own story it wants to be it makes you want to like hear more stories like how else can we connect as people over like the hard times and how wonderful this can be it's it's really it was beautiful it is it is beautiful and kind of going back just briefly to the sense of vulnerability i think that it does you know like i was saying before about the the idea of catharsis of of um, get purging something that is deeply personal to you that you can't hold on to anymore being vulnerable telling your story is cathartic in itself but there's also a catharsis i think in knowing that you've had a knock on effect that you being vulnerable has allowed somebody who's maybe holding on to something themselves that again you're not aware of um being able to think okay I can do this or I can at least take some steps towards getting closer towards doing this. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely do think it's beautiful. Uh, I want to ask, how hard was it to sort of curate? You said that like there's, there's a lot of items that you obviously couldn't put out, but like how difficult was it to kind of editorialize this collection? I came up with how I wanted to do it, like the journey I wanted to take you on mm-hmm. if I did my job right the journey I wanted to take you on, I came up with that pretty soon where it was when you came in the first kind of group of stories that you, you encountered were the things that you would expect. Like that's where I had the wedding dress in the jar and the cheerleading outfit where, you know, she was going to put it on and he didn't text and, you know, just like all of these kind of like, they were more romantic focused and they weren't too heavy. It was just kind of like, okay, like, yes, like, you broke up with the guy. You didn't know what to do with your wedding dress. You stuffed it in a jar. Here's the cheerleading app. Like just things that you'd understand. So it's like those kind of icebreaker stories. Mm-hmm. And then as you went on, I wanted to expand what broken relationships meant. So that's where I start pulling in the other stories, family, friends, places, things like that. So it's like, okay, not just, yeah, let's remember relationships can be so many things, place, yourself. And then after that, is when I start wading into the heavier stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm not just like throwing you in the deep end. Right. Like, here's the really hard things. Um, so like you kind of like, I've like wet your palate and you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of accustomed to like reading these stories. And then I slowly lead you down, 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 down um, into like the heaviest stories I have. And then I pull you out slowly and then we start getting into the stories where I call it like my aspirational endings where it's like people are looking back and like it was hard but it was worth it I can look back on this with fondness I can look back on this with humor it was it was worth it but it like basically like I got I got through this and I'm a better person or at least I survived (laughs) and so when you're leaving you kind of have this like more up feeling of just like okay like yes, I can also process these difficult things that happened to me and get to a place where maybe I'll laugh about it, or at least I'll be like, remember the good times. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't just dump you on Hollywood Boulevard having just (laughs) 
stomped all over your heart um that it's like oh okay like this is where my future can be like if you're in a bad spot and so that was like kind of the framework that I wanted to have and and then I was just you know picking stories accordingly and it was you know some stories like right off the bat like you know that they're just going to be like just incredible like the paper flowers or the breast implants you know like there's going to be somewhere it's just like I can't not have the breast implants out right like it's just (laughs) I have to um and but then there's you know and like I said those stories that are you know they're really tapping into like our collective experiences while it's being like something very hyper specific Mm. um and then of course there were the you know all of us who are working there you know we're so saturated that the things that resonate with us are not necessarily the things that are going to resonate with the people who are coming through, who are new to this Mm -hmm. experience. So having to kind of, you know, adjust some of like our, oh my gosh, this is like an incredible, you know, a couple of times I had to kill my darlings. I thought this was going to be a story that would really resonate. And then I realized that everybody's not as, Mm -hmm. as deep as I am. And then, but I was able to, because the object, the call for objects was always, happening while it was open I was always able to like rotate out and um, everyone who worked there was so wonderful and they were always talking to people who were coming through what were your favorite pieces it's obviously very social media friendly mm-hmm. exhibit so seeing what people were resonating uh, with on that That's level um, I could see like oh this is something that worked this was something that didn't um, and but being able to kind of like have those kind of things move. Cause I did have a lot of people actually coming back multiple times, which I did not anticipate. I didn't think it was going to be a, something that people were going to want to repeat or be like anxious to be like, yeah, let me come back in and like cry some more. Um, <laughs> I thought, sure. Let I me thought go through that empathetic workout once. Yeah, more. exactly. Like yeah. I need to come back. Um, but people did. And so that was nice too, because then they want to come back and show off to their friends. And that right. was really wonderful. And so it was nice to have like different pieces in and different pieces featured. And especially when, you know, there was more, uh, if I had anything that was like, fitting along with something that was like big and like the zeitgeist I could like kind of you know flip that out and in and that was and that was always kind of a fun thing to do uh to be able to react that way um because that's the other thing that's so nice about having you know a, a museum of regular objects is I don't have to have some intense you know getty uh, level security for my art uh because it's really just a bunch of you know I've got just a lot of ticket stubs <laughs> And I just have to keep those out of the light and dry. And I can right. do that easily with a plastic bin in this conference room. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to worry too much about someone trying to set up a heist for a vial of pubic hair. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Oh, man, I forgot about that one until just now. Oh, so many, so many biological hazards. Yeah. What I find interesting, though, and, and generally, it's it's the items that people have owned, the tactile physical things that they've bought, that they've won, that they've been given, but there are also parts of people. And I think that in itself is like a, like a deeper level of connectivity because you are talking about things that have grown from people. Um, and, and that is kind of mind blowing in the best way possible. Yeah, I got the there was a screw from a broken bone. Oh, or like nice. some surgery that was one that was big the person promised that they were going to be there after I had a couple of those stories that was really hard the they were going to be there after the hard surgery for the recovery time and then they weren't oh, um oh, and organ transplant situations and that kind of as well yeah. that was like something the, the, the ones where I got more than one 
was really interesting because I was like, I wonder if this person knows like how deeply you're not alone. Like how, like you're not the only person who collected belly button lint. You are not the only person who came out of an organ transplant single, but when you had a partner going in, Mm -hmm. um, that's a like, I just wouldn't have thought, but then I had, had multiple stories. Um, and you know, I mean, I only had one giant rusty meat smoker, which is not a euphemism. That was a real object to have. But the <laughs> that's one know, of my some, favorite bands. I know, right? It's great, nineties are amazing. Um, but the that was always really that was really interesting. Uh, that where those were. The other thing that was really interesting, it, it, I, I found out because of the story with the paper flowers, because the way the donor wrote the story, he only used the pronouns you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's a him because I've talked to him and I know it's a him because I, you know, even if I hadn't talked to him, I would have gotten the, you know, he, right. he has to, you have to sign off that you're donating this to the museum. Um, but he only wrote it in you and me, and I didn't put two and two together, uh, because, you know, you, your brain fills in things mm-hmm. as humans do. Yeah. And people would talk to me about the story and they would insert themselves. It would be whatever their gender and sexual identity was every single time they could not help themselves mm. and so people would be coming in and be like oh my god that woman who was like after that girl at the museum who got ghosted and I'm like what are you talking about like I have no idea what story you're talking about and I'm sure my face was just huh and they were like I thought you were the director and you knew all of the objects so I'm thinking in my head like I thought I was the director and I knew all of the objects and then I realized after a couple of people did that to me um or they were telling the story in that way that they couldn't help but like put themselves in the situation and it was so amazing of like an example of just like how quickly we can get into these like empathetic situations because it was not you know most of the time it was not whatever the gender identity and sexuality of whoever was doing the story it was you know what the actual experience was and but it was just really wonderful because I'm like all right well this is good I'm making I'm making people consider other people's experiences in like a really in a real real way absolutely and and again as much as it kind of pulls you out your own head that, that sense of empathy it really kind of does have people and I can say for myself like I projected myself into other people's situations reading them and mm-hmm. and and that's that's beautiful because that in itself is a sort of uh, passive sense of, of connection you know not meaning to but you just if you're an empathetic person and not just like an emotionally like <laughs> blunt asshole, you will do that. You will kind of go, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then just kind of put yourself in that framework. So yeah, that's, that's generally really fascinating. I've got to ask what were some of your favorite items? My favorite items were, I really loved the trash. You know, like I really, I was, I was always really attracted to the people who kept and the stories of the people who kept on to the trash, like the mail files, where mm-hmm. it was just like, there's no reason for you to be keeping this item at all, except for your emotional connection to them. Right. One of my favorite, it was such a hard story. This was in the really, I'm pull, I'm ripping out your heart section. There was a woman who had donated also from her late husband, all of his like very, grungy almost empty cologne bottles and when I I opened that box you know I didn't realize it at the time but I realized I was smelling him Mm. and smell is such olfactory such a profound connection to memory um so basically her giving these up 
was giving up like a very quick tie to a memory of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, I just like felt very honored that she trusted me with that. Um, because it just, it's such like a, a life human thing to have this, yeah. like, you know, these things just sit underneath your bathroom sink and they get kind of gross and you lose them anyway. And it's just what people do. And there's no reason to clean them off really. And that's how they were. And so, you know, and again, trash, cause they were all, empty she wasn't going to use them but she kept them um what else was really good I loved I loved the one there was a Peter Pan doll of a man who bought it when he was 23 and he visited Disneyland and it was supposed to be a reminder to stay young oh Peter Pan's Peter Pan story and then now that he was older that part of him had died and Fuck. he had no connection to that anymore. So he was donating the Jesus at all. Christ, I Alexis. I know. You're mangling my heart here. I though. know. I know. It's, it's so, Oof. it's messed up how I process things. <laughs> <laughs> because I get excited about these stories because I find them like I just I can't like I'm I'm sent I'm from like this totally different experience where I'm like I can't believe you're trusting me with this I can't believe Mm -hmm. you're sharing this with me this is going to be so incredible for the people who are coming I can't believe I get to curate with this like incredible item like how like iconic um and like just like such a clear you know just shot to the like the heart of of what this experience was that like you are not this idealistic child anymore um and so I get excited, even though it's like, oh no, something horrible has happened. Right. And I can't tell you how many interviews and podcasts I've done where someone's like, let's take some breakup advice. And someone's like, so we just broke up. What do I do? And I'm like, this is amazing news. Um, congratulations. You've broken up. Look at all of this space you have. Like, this is just going to be great. You've got all of this space now to do all of these new things. And it's just going to be wonderful. And I'm so happy you broke up. And people are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And I'm like, it's a professional hazard. I right. I've it. been immersed in this for too long now. It's just a part of who I am, deal with it. Yeah. Um, the Peter Pan thing is really interesting because it kind of leads me to something that I really liked about the museum and some of my favourite bits that, that sort of stick out is when an item isn't just an item, but it can be like a conduit or a metaphor for something for the reason that they're donating it like that. It's brilliant. Like he lost that sense of, of idealistic thinking and uh, and desire to be like very young at heart it's like terrifying and heartbreaking to hear but stuff like that what is the one i'm just gonna have a look at me notes the goblet the fuck you love you goblet brilliant i mean like two completely opposing sentiments on on the same side of something but it's smashed and being glued back together again and it you know it can't hold anything in there without it leaking there's nothing that can can be held in that without it just flooding out and I mean, that in itself is its just a, a powerful image. Right. And it's the kind of thing that if you were to write it into a script or into a book, people would be like, mm. Mm, well, it's a little heavy handed. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, but that's life, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was, that one was, that one was, I, when I got that, it was, I was really, I was really thrilled with that one. Mm-hmm. Also, I really liked the way I curated that because I put a little piece of mirror behind it so you could see whatever yeah. the other side was. Right. And there was no way. Pe- that, was the, that was the piece that people touched the most because mm-hmm. they always were trying to get the good angle for their for their Instagram shot. Yeah. Like they either wanted it to say F you like straight to them or they wanted the reflection to say F you. And so I'd always go and it would always be in a different spot than I thought. 
but luckily it was already broken. So if it broke even more, I'd just right. put it back together and nobody would know. <laughs> right. What's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst going to happen? I can't insure the collection. So it's like, all right, just cross my fingers and hope someone doesn't break it. <laughs> Um, the other thing that's kind of like that, not quite as, as full on as that, uh, or as good of an example of that, you mentioned it very briefly, and I am curious if you've still got it, is the wedding dress in the jar, that caught my attention, because like, the from what I remember, the story behind that is, it was bought by, um, I'm presuming it was a woman that got married to a fella that had like a seven year relationship, married for five, and then broke up, she didn't want to keep the dress. So she put it in this jar and I just thought, okay, there's something about that, about something that's supposed to symbolize like quote unquote happiest day of your life being stuck in a, a transparent vacuum. Yeah. She pickled it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, pickled it. That one went back to Croatia because we still share the collection mm-hmm. so they can like pull things. So they, that one went back to Croatia, but that was like, that was just so good. Cause it was, it was just such a, and also like the physical act of that because I think you can't help but like read wedding dress in a jar and you can't help but start thinking how would I put a wedding dress in a mm-hmm. jar you know like it just becomes like here I am because it's just so out of the norm of like what right. people do with wedding dresses so it's like you have to imagine how is she going to fit it in there what kind of dress was it what kind of day was it that she was wearing a dress that was small enough to like fit into a jar this is like a slight woman because again it's a dress that fits into a jar it wasn't like a giant jar it was like a regular pickle jar so like you just it your your mind races like you can't help but but like just like try to experience like how did this very bizarre thing happen right and in that you know those thought processes you start to you know get into those those places and that's that's that was one of the first pieces we had when we came in so it definitely was like yeah it's definitely a curiosity and it's it's one I still have a photograph of on my phone um yeah yeah and it's just as you say it's a case of like well what is the story behind that what what led to that how did Mm -hmm. that even happen like physically and like the the steps to get into that point um but yeah I just I always was struck by the the aesthetic visual of a wedding dress as I say happiest day of life pickled just in an in a transparent vacuum mm-hmm. um and then you read the story and it's just like wow but that's that's you know could be said for so many pieces in there the confessional element of the museum is something I thought was really interesting as well because obviously the whole experience is somewhat passive you're reading people's stories you're looking at things you're kind of processing and you're going through that empathetic workout hopefully again if you're not like an emotionally dull asshole you're you're kind of feeling feelings and and getting the full experience but the confessional element I thought was really good because it's allowing people to have a space to then themselves be vulnerable you know again going back to that sense of a knock-on effect and their own catharsis. Uh, where did that idea come from? And that was a Croatian original. They had theirs in a little bit of a kind of a corner also. So like when I had the, ours was underneath the stairs and kind of like a Harry Potter situation. <laughs> and so it was nice to kind of have like an area where you could be a little bit private to yeah. like have these private thoughts. But I believe, and don't quote me, I believe it was like inspired by like a bed and breakfast situation mm, where people okay. would, you know, like you're leaving the bed like and breakfast and you're like, like, like a guest book. Yeah. yeah. And you like leave your experience. Like, oh, this is like so wonderful and delightful. And I love the tea in the morning. Um, so it was kind of like a nice, so I think it was like half that probably half like 
Catholic, um, <laughs> where it's like, here's where you can kind of like purge your thoughts. Cause that is the most, the most like common response beyond just like, you know, just general emotional laughing, crying, whatever is like, you want to start telling your stories now yeah. because you've seen yourself or aspects of your own life experience in the, um, in the, in the objects that you've just like been reading. And so it was really nice. And it was interesting immediately how people knew what to do with it. I thought on the first, on the first day, I was like, Oh, I'm going to like pepper in a few stories. So people like, know. Mm -hmm. and it was so clear. I did not need to do that. Like immediately people knew exactly what to do and they would leave me objects. They would leave like little tokens and I had photos and just so much stuff would be, you know, we'd like open it. There's like a little drawer at the desk that you sat at and Mm. there'd be stuff all inside. And, uh, but people knew exactly what to do. And it was really, it was really wonderful because there was a lot of really wonderful things. There's a lot of interaction because people would just sit in there for, you know, for so long and read through. Um, I think I've got six or seven of these giant books filled still. I'm like two in my office right now. I still want to do something with them and I just don't know what, um, because it's just so much beautiful stuff in every language people are responding to people people are coming back and like acknowledging uh it was just really magical because people just really wanted to keep the feeling going like hey, let's keep this emotional party going and just like yeah. participate however we can and and that was really the confessional was just really wonderful just because people would be in there together separate a lot of people talking about who they were there with, like, I hope this works out. We like came here <laughs> and I was always like, Oh my gosh, I hope it did too. Or like, Oh, I don't like we're here. And I think this is like the end. Oh, I wow. mean, it was just the, they were taking it places like the amount yeah. of just like places people took it immediately. Not just like, I miss you, which is what I thought like most things would be right. or like, just, you know, like other kind of, Oh my gosh, like, you know, you stood me up or just some silly light memories. And there's like, no, people took it to, places and like and again the time it takes to write things out to have that physicality of it uh sharing it I think is like again like it becomes ritual and like people can sense you know how that you know the energy that goes into something like that especially now because like nobody writes anything (laughs) (laughs) like physically with a pen I'm somewhere in one of those books, by the way, you will find uh, something from me because I did actually use the confessional at the time uh, to give people a little glimpse. Um, the the relationship I had with the woman who would then become my wife was sort of uncertain. And that was one of the reasons why I was back in the US. Um, so, yeah, I can't remember what I wrote it six years ago. I can't remember what I wrote six days ago. So I'm not going to be able to remember it. But um, yeah, somewhere in there, there's something where I'm, I'm more than likely saying, yeah, I hope this works out. It's given me, because that's, that's the thing. At the time, I was in a, in a particularly vulnerable place, but in a good place as well, because I was doing something that um, I promised I would do for myself. So yeah, I mean, in a strange sort of emotional landscape and, and it just kind of opened you up a lot more when you do see and can connect with other people's stories, which ultimately is the, the reason why I think this place uh, will forever be pretty special to me yeah I think it's it's nice because you can see I think there is a thing too is like when you go through if maybe you'll recognize red flags Mm. that you're experiencing or maybe you'll recognize that you don't have any red flags because things are going pretty well um and I think that's also really interesting it also became this is totally random it became a place a lot of people brought their young teenagers to to like talk about 
relationships That's in cute. a way That's that was nice. like safe and cool and not like uh mom dad like leave right. me alone because they can be like hey like you know here like they wanted to talk about the stories maybe they have friends or they are experiencing things and it became not like a parent child like let's talk about this it's like right. oh like we're going somewhere cool. People are Instagramming here and like, maybe we're going to get something fun at the gift shop. And then, yeah, let's talk about, you know, communication and relationships or like the hard things you experience. And mm. that was another thing too. We wanted to make sure I had a couple stories that were like high school yeah. stories. Cause those oh, for sure. people always, you know, especially as we get older, it's like, Oh my gosh, like that young love. It's so silly. Like everything, but it's so profound when you're happening. Totally. Like nothing is more intense than being in love at 15. <laughs> it's the ground floor. It's the basis that forms the relationships that follow, you know, yeah. the mistakes you make, the the absolute overwhelming feelings that you have at that point. It's, it is the baptism of fire for relationships mm-hmm. in later life. So yeah, totally. You needed that in there for sure. Exactly. So having those in there too, then it's like, okay. And I feel like that was nice too. Cause then it's like the, the teenagers who did come through and a lot came through, mm-hmm. they see themselves immediately in there and know that they're, that's part of, you know, it's not just all, you know, dissolving marriages right. and like dead children um <laughs> which, which by the way is a terrible name for a museum and i'm really glad <laughs> no. you didn't go with that <laughs> museum of dissolving marriages and dead, dead children. children yeah come on in <laughs> it's a weekend treat you never knew you needed before we go before i let you go um what are you currently working on now that people might want to check out and also we're going to quickly dip into hide or practice I now I am still an art curator uh, based in LA still and I'm working on I currently run an artist residency at a law firm called Quinn Emanuel um, and we have two artists in residence right now and that's been really wonderful and I have my podcast Hide or Practice where I talk to other art professionals about the art world and try to give advice to people about what's what and who's who um because the art world is notoriously opaque so trying to bring a little (laughs) bit of awareness to other people especially who are trying to get into the art world and trying to figure out where they might fit um because lord knows i've I've been in quite a few different positions that i didn't even know existed before i got them like for instance the director of the museum of broken (laughs) relationships so having you know being able to talk to people about those kinds of things and you know, their experiences in the art world has been really wonderful to share with the world. That's how to practice. Excellent. Well, I will put links to that in the show notes for this yeah. with some other stuff. Uh, usually it's not something that would really benefit me to advertise someone else's podcast, but you know what? I'm going to go oh. for it. Go check it out, listen, subscribe, and, and take a deep dive into that as well. Alexis, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so I, it was completely unexpected. As I said at the top of the show, yeah. I just planned on doing a solo episode digging into my experiences and some research but to to have this opportunity has been amazing um it's been a real insight into something that i that i still love very dearly to this day so thank you very much and thank you for the work that you did with the museum as well gang so there you go that was my conversation with the wonderful alexis hyde former director of the museum of broken relationships a place that has left an absolutely indelible mark on my being i yeah i will just talk until the cows come home 
about this place because I think what they did with that place, I think what that museum as a whole, from its origins to its current incarnations, its touring form, and obviously its roots in Croatia, I think everything that they've done, just the general idea, the ability to provide a platform for people to open up, to share their most personal, intimate and insightful uh, versions and parts of themselves is incredible. If this is your first time hearing this, hopefully you are experiencing something that you want to dive deeper into. Hopefully this episode has been an introduction and is sending you down a rabbit hole of the museum's history and its current incarnation. There is a lot of stuff for you to dive into. They have a YouTube channel as well where people have been sharing their stories. I don't know if it's uploaded anything for some time, but there's still plenty of stuff on there. Um, Yeah, there's just many arms to this thing. And if you've enjoyed this episode, and there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't have, then hopefully you're going to take, as I say, a deep dive into the museum and its history and just its, its overall being, because it's a wonderful thing to have in this world. I want to say very quickly a big thank you to Alexis for taking the time, for being gracious enough to sit down and talk to me about the museum and for just being so cool about everything, especially like my fanboying over the museum. <laughs> It may have got a bit cringe, I don't know, hopefully not. But um, yeah, just very, very grateful and appreciative of Alexis's time. And if you're listening, Alexis, uh, you are welcome back on the show at any time, if in fact you do ever want to come back to the show. Door is always open. Uh, What I would recommend for you guys is, as well as taking a deep dive into the world of the Museum of Broken Relationships, is check out the stuff we mentioned at the back end of the conversation uh, with Alexis there. Uh, in particular, the podcast Hide or Practice. Uh, Yeah, great stuff, especially if you do have an interest in the world of art. If you look in the show notes as well, you'll not only find links to Alexis's stuff, but you'll find links to our stuff as well, including the Facebook page and the Instagram and Twitter channels. Is that what you call them? Anyway, the Instagram and Twitter things. Basically, it's at I am Mal Foster. That's where you can get in touch with me about this episode. If you've been to the museum... You can share your stories. If you've contributed something to the museum, that would be kind of mind-blowing to have somebody tell me that they listen to this. And, uh, yeah, get in touch. Or if you go on a deep dive and you find something you want to share, get in touch and share it with me via Twitter or Instagram at IamMalFoster. There's also a link to the YouTube channel, which if you go take a look at, you will find a little bonus clip from this conversation where I did a little bit of show-and-tell with Alexis showing her some artifacts that I myself have kept that have a personal significance. So if you want to know what those are and why they are personally significant, go check out the YouTube channel for that. Of course, outside of this, if you want to help support this show and you haven't done so already, the best way to do that is to subscribe wherever it is you got this episode from or wherever you want to get podcasts from in the future. We're pretty much available on any and every podcast platform. If you want to go one step beyond, you can always give us a rating and a review, preferably in haiku format. And yes, I am going to still keep asking for this until the end of the season, so somebody better make it happen. Just one review in haiku format. It's really not that much to ask for, I don't think. Anyway, that's how you can help the show out, uh, other than, you know, telling your friends or buying merch, which we do have. And I never, ever plug, because I always forget that we have it. But we do have t-shirts and mugs available. And one day, I will do a a live stream episode with both the mug 
and the T-shirt on me. Not the mug on me. That wouldn't be practical. It would be also very strange. But, yeah, we do have merch. So if you've always wanted my face on a T-shirt, um, yeah, well, I've got questions about that. But if, if that is what you want, I can make it happen for you. Just check out the link on the Instagram thing. <laughs> I'm so good at this. I'm so slick. So slick. If you go to the Instagram page, at I am Mal Foster, there is a link in the bio, and it'll take you there. Yeah, this is, this is why I never talk about merch or stuff like that. I'm just shit at hawking stuff. Can you imagine if I was like an Avon representative going door-to-door? Now there, right there, now that is an experience episode right there. I should just sign up for Avon <laughs> and just document my dismal attempts at selling people uh, whatever it is Avon sells. Cosmetics? Kitchenware? I think it's kitchenware. I vaguely remember it being kitchenware from Edward Scissorhands, but, you know, that was a movie about a, a boy who had scissors for hands, so they may have been making the kitchenware thing up for Avon. I don't know. This is going into a very strange random train of thought. And on that note, that is about it for this week's episode. As for next week's episode, well, honestly, I don't actually know what we've got planned. I'm still spacing things out. And, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what is going to be happening next week. But the only way to find out is to, of course, tune in. As always, thank you for listening to this episode. And, yeah, look after yourselves, look after each other. And until next week's mystery episode, keep it dimed. (laughs) 